All right. So in chapter three um, of uh, Dr. How are, you, how are you pronouncing his last name? I say Hokuma. I don't know. Hokuma? Um, Dr. Hokuma's book, uh, The Christian Looks at Himself. Uh, it's called Old and New Man. Um, and he continues this quest of convincing uh, us, his readers, um, of their great value, our great value, or really our great worth to Christ. And how we should look at ourselves, right? as the title goes to his book, that we are persons of great worth in every way, although not perfect, um, certainly not yet, not yet, and although unworthy of such grace. Um, he makes distinctions. Uh, I haven't been able to, uh, to be in the first two sessions that Stephen has taught, but, you know, so I don't know how much you propounded on this or not, brother, but uh, it's very clear the teaching in Scripture and uh, Hokema certainly backs that up, that we are unworthy of the grace that we receive in Christ, but we are not worthless. And I think we can confuse that sometimes, that we think ourselves as worthless when we're unworthy. I hope you can see the distinction there. Um, well... In this chapter, uh, Dr. Holcomb, he ventures into the Apostle Paul's descriptions of the old and new man, okay? Our ESV says old and new self, but the, the little Greek rendering is man, but it, it is just as apt to say self because there's no, it's not man as in masculine versus feminine. It's just clearly the old and new self. But I'll be using the term man here. And in light of what he's argued so far in his book about who we are in Christ, he asks some pretty important questions up front in this chapter. Um, and he asks it in sort of a, as a devil's advocate, as one who is pretending to be a doubter of our esteemed position in Christ. So he asks, um, you know, we've heard all this great truth about we are uh, in Christ, and Christ has conquered uh, death and, and the power of sin on the cross, and that we should have this positive view of ourselves in Christ. But what about our sinful nature? What about our sinful nature? What about our depravity? He talks about uh, total depravity and the, the Calvinistic teaching there. In this chapter. Well, you know, what about our depravity? Yes, you know, doesn't the Bible teach that even after we have been born again, even after we've become believers, that we continue to have a sinful nature and that we continue to sin? Doesn't the Bible teach that? And so from that, there's two primary questions that kind of pop out in this chapter that he's asking. Because of that, does not this imply that the Bible teaches us to continue to have a negative view of ourselves even after we are converted. That's the first important question here um, he's asking. And then secondly, mustn't I continue to see myself as a person perpetually dogged by failure, constantly trying to do the right things 
but just as constantly failing to do them. I know um, many, many believers, if they're not saying that, those words explicitly, that's how they think. Um, Hokema determines to deal with these questions, and particularly these two questions that are on the screen, by showing what the scriptures teach about the concepts of the old and new man, uh, concepts that many of you are, are familiar with. But he brings up a good point that I think sometimes I miss, and I, I think perhaps you do too. And that is that we can sometimes foster a wrong understanding of the old man and, and new man, what Paul's teaching in relation to us as, as believers in our lives. Well, um, first, I think it's important, I think it's necessary that we refresh our memories of just what Scripture does have to say about the old and new man. So I'm going to share some, some verses here. First one, Romans chapter 6. Paul writes, We know that our old man was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we, so that we would no longer, um, I'm sorry, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Quick comment there on this, on verse 8 here on this passage. That the latter part of that verse in verse 8 is it's not saying that someday we will live with Christ. I think sometimes when we see that, that we believe that we will also live with him, that okay. It doesn't say that I'm doing it now. Is that, is, it's not what it's saying. It's not saying that someday we will live with Christ, but simply it's saying that if the first part of the verse holds true, then so will or so does the second part of the verse. Capiche? All right. Another verse, old and new man. Ephesians chapter 4. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old man which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new man, created after likeness of God, and true righteousness and holiness. Paul's telling us to do these things that are actually already true about us. Okay, Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with its practices and have put on the new man, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So Paul refers to a believer who a believer is before he's converted or born again um, and who he is after conversion, the old man and the new man. The old man is alive to sin 
Now I'm just propounding what Scripture's teaching us. The old man's alive to sin. The new man is dead to sin. No longer enslaved to it. Rather, enslaved to Christ. Our life as believers is in Christ. He is our life. That's an amazing thing right there just to ponder. Well, the old man in his former manner of living, we also know, is corrupt or being corrupted by sin. The new man way of living, the new man manner of living, resembles the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what Paul tells us. So the old man once walked in sin, the new man is being renewed in the knowledge of God. So these um, are pitted against each other. Uh, and it also can show that, that battle that happens in our spirit as these tendencies of our old self, which has been crucified in Christ, continues to war against us, the flesh. Paul often will talk about the flesh. It's the flesh and the old man are the same thing. When we live in those ways that are not who we are. These are the teachings we have in, in Scripture. And I think there's one more helpful verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. You hear that? Passed away. The new has come. Simply put, as believers, you know, as Christians, we are new creations in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to live and to think in such a way that resembles the way we lived before, before we, we were saved, it's not right. It's not right. It is unright, unrighteous. It is not being who we truly are now as men and women whose life is Christ, who is risen. Okama, he puts his finger on a common misconception of our new cre creaturely status in the Lord. It's often thought that since true biblical teaching reveals what we know to be true regarding this inner struggle I was talking about, that was sin that exists in us as believers, that there is um, a confusion that can emerge as to who we are in Christ. And it makes us make bad decisions and um, it confuses us again of the joy we should be having. Before conversion, we are, this, this is this, the thought process here, okay? That before conversion, we are only an old man, all right? That's true. And at the time of conversion, we are said to put on the new man. That's true. Without, however, totally losing the old man. And that's where the confusion comes in. The converted person or believer is understood to be partly new man and partly old man. That's the confusion. And that's often what we think as, as Christians. If, if, and if not explicitly, if we don't say those words, then implicitly we tend to view ourselves this way, partly old and partly new. Now who's in control? 
At the times, the old man is in control under this way of thinking. At other times, the new man's in control. The struggle of life, you know, therefore is the struggle between these two aspects of or, or, or parts of being. Again, talking about that, this is the thought that we're confused with. Now, this understanding of the old and new man can easily lead to negative understanding of ourselves. All right? That second question, you know, always constantly feeling dogged down by life. Yeah. You know, a person, of course, could think of himself as, you know, primarily new man and only secondarily old man, but even in such a case, a believer's view of himself will be of a person who is, is again, partly new and partly old. Partly obedient to God and partly in rebellion against God. That's not a clear understanding as, as Scripture teaches us. You know, we also might, however, think of ourselves, a person can think of themselves, a Christian could think of themselves more on the pessimistic side of things primarily old man, with only occasionally and rarely a new man shining through, in which case that person's view of him or herself would definitely be a negative view. Definitely feeling dogged down. You know, I'm not worthy enough to go even the Lord in prayer. But as the, the book puts the question forward, is this view of a Christian, part old and part new, is that a correct view? John Murray, um, a, a, a wonderful theologian who's wonderful books that he's written, great in depth and insight and uh, from a, in the, talking about who God is, you know, from a systematic um, theology perspective. Uh, in fact, that's what he did for a living. I mean, he was a professor of systematic theology, a very respected theologian in the 20th century. Well, he explains that, that this view, part old man, part new, is, it's just as wrong to call the believer both a new man and an old man as it is to say that he is both regenerate and unregenerate. Think about that. We don't struggle in thinking about, am I part unregenerate and part regenerate? But his argument is, if you're going to think that you're part old and part new, well, then it goes hand in hand with the thinking that you're part regenerate and part unregenerate. Well, it's not right. He rejected the idea that the believer is both old and new man. Uh, he contended that Scripture says we have... We have put off the old man and have put on the new man. So we must think of ourselves as new. New, though certainly not yet made perfect and still being renewed, still being sanctified and purified. So uh, Professor Murray, he goes on explaining that we are still being renewed. So we've got to be careful also not to think of ourselves as progressively putting off the old and putting on the new. Because that old man was once and for all crucified with Christ. 
Again, remember Romans 6.6, 6, one of those verses we went over. He was crucified with Christ. Herman Ritterboss, in his study on Paul and Paul's ministry, his life and ministry, he explains that when Paul is speaking about the old and new man, that he's not concerned primarily with the change that takes place in the life of an individual Christian after conversion, but really what took place once for all in Christ. So since we are united in Christ, that we are one with him, one with him, what happened to him also happened to us in a real spiritual way. We have died with Christ. No, no longer alive to sin, and yet we still sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he, he conquered sin. He killed it. And in that great salvific act, he killed the old man and each believer. And each believer as salvation is eventually applied by the Holy Spirit when regenerated. Does that make sense? You understand that? So objectively, in Jesus' death, the old sinful way of living has once for all been a done away with it. No longer, really what that means, it's no longer sways a power over Jesus's people. We're not enslaved to it. The new godly way of living is associated with God's new creation, which is once for all has been inaugurated in Christ as he was resurrected. So, subjectively, so that's the objective way of looking at things. Subjectively, a believer enters into this new way of living as we are appropriate, appropriate it by faith, as we are putting on Christ. Okay, so that's the language we're more familiar with. You know, we need to be putting off the old man and putting on the new. So in a sense, we, we're, we're doing that, but it's a subjective way of doing things. Objectively, this has happened. But we are living out in a way that we're, we're killing our sin, killing those tendencies that we lived in an old way, and in that old man, and putting on Christ, putting on the new way, the, old, the new man. But that's a subjective view of things. It wasn't done just initially when we were regenerated, but it's continual, continual. All right? I think we're familiar with that concept, probably more so. But we have to have that concept of understanding of putting off the old and putting on the new subjectively, but at the same time understanding who we are, our position in Christ. Again, in Christ, our position before God is we have the righteousness of Christ upon us. We share in his righteousness. We can see this appropriation of new man living by what Paul stated in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, I think, when we ponder things this way. This means that we should not look at ourselves in Christ as having our old selves as an integral part of our being. No longer again, no longer again slave to sin, not even partly. 
We are enslaved to Christ. Our total person is ruled by the Spirit. But I still struggle with sin. We both, yes, we, we struggle with sin. 1 John 1, verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Holcomah, he reminds us that the New Testament is full of the language of struggle. The Christian life, it's called a battle, it's called a race, a wrestling against evil spirits. We're told to be good Christian soldiers, to fight the good fight of the faith, to resist the devil, to take heed lest we fall, and to put on the whole armor of God. Why do we need to do these things? In this life, our faith is constantly being tested, or often being tested. And it's in dealing with sin, and, and uh, again, I, I think it was, honestly, I think it was John Piper in one of his books is he wrote about the struggle that we have in sin and every time we have that victory and I think I've mentioned this before every time we have a victory over sin it's another slap in the face of the devil because we are choosing Christ over the passions of our flesh the enticements of the world the best that he can throw at us when we resist the devil and choose not to sin it's a that's a huge victory it glorifies God in this way. That was Piper, one of Piper's hypotheses, if you will, his one of his ponderings about why is it where we're still struggling with sin? Why isn't we just weren't snatched up right away? Why aren't we not, whereas we will be when we're glorified, cannot sin? Well, for the glory of God, that's why. But we are kept safe. We are kept safe. But knowing who we are and that we're not partly old and partly new, that we are new, new creatures in Christ, again, that's an encouragement to, to live and be used in a way that is appropriate and according. It, it helps to know what a thing is for and what it's not for. In this struggle, we don't always win. We don't always resist temptations. And when this happens, then we momentarily are living according to the old man, which has been discarded. Therefore, living contrary to our new improved nature, our new improved self in Christ. So Hokum's point in, in this chapter is that despite the fact that we can at times and do act sinfully and do as we once did in our old man's status, it does not mean we should adopt a negative view of ourselves. Should we have godly sorrow over sin? Definitely. Because we love him and it's rebellion. Yes, we should have a godly sorrow over our sin, but not despair. He says, Okama also, quote, when we slip into an old man way of living, we are living contrary to our 
true selves. We are denying our true self-image. And Paul does not say in Romans 6.11, consider yourselves to be mostly alive to God and mostly dead to sin. This then must be our Christian view of ourselves. We must consider ourselves to be new persons in Christ who have once and for all turned our backs on the old self and therefore those who refuse to be identified with it any longer. And that's what we do when we resist sin, when we realize the futility of it, the, the fleeting nature of the enjoyment of sin, if you will. Living in accordance to our true status in Christ means we can press onward toward joyful obedience to God. Living in this way encourages us in our obedience and our trust in him. Otherwise, we're simply just being inconsistent with our new identity. It doesn't even feel right. You're off. You don't know how to tell someone why you're feeling the way you are. I just feel off, perhaps. Just as a mother should be inspired to do motherly things because she is a mother, or a football player should be inspired to hit and run and block and tackle, or a salesman should be inspired to close a deal, you know, whatever analogy you want to apply to, we should be inspired by knowing more and more who we are as Christians, down to our very being. And that's who we are. We are new creatures in Christ. I'm reminded, as I was going through this, of a, a Garfield cartoon I once saw, and I was able to find it. Um, I don't know if you know Garfield very well, uh, but in this picture, Odie, he's in that tree because of who or what he thinks he is. That's why he's in that tree. You know, we must not think of ourselves as doing what we can to hopefully just reform our old selves. We're not about reforming our old selves. In Christ, our old selves is really just sin masquerading itself as having a power that's been taken away. It's not give in to it. Let's resist that. So yes, we, miss, we may behave and we may believe like people whose spirit lies in the grave. We may live and behave that way at times. But that, that is the sin in us acting that way. It's not who we are. As Paul declares in Romans 7, verse 20, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul, he's not stating a disclaimer here to relieve himself of the responsibility that he bears for his own sin. He's simply saying what, what we've been talking about this morning. The process of sanctification that we are undergoing, it's a gradual, sometimes painful process, isn't it? But it never reaches the finish line, at least not while we remain on earth. So we expect that we will fall, fail at times, we will fall. 
fail with our flesh and, and serve the law of sin. But as Paul says, but thanks be to God, for Jesus has delivered us from the curse of death and will someday deliver us completely from our bodies of death. So, going back to that second question, really, one, the one that stood out the most to me anyways. Mustn't I continue to see myself as a person perpetually dogged by failure, constantly trying to do the right things, but just as constantly failing to do them? Well, no, you must not continue to see yourself that way. We must view ourselves as Christ views us, as new creations created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. That's explicitly what the word of God says. Now, for those of you that are following along in the book, um, perhaps you bought it. I don't, I, I want to point out something that the author of, of the book says, uh, Hokema. I, I believe, especially towards the end of that chapter, that he starts to fall into a ditch on the side of the road. And that he argues that we should no longer refer to ourselves as totally or radically depraved in the view of the first letter of the tulip acrostic. That we should discard that. Now, he's a Calvinist, for sure. He argues that the Calvinist teaching of total depravity, or some put it radical depravity, he, he, he agrees with it. That in, it. It's really instructing his argument that every part of our being is corrupted by sin, our hearts, our minds, even our physiological aspects of our being, right? And he argues that this doctrine is true regarding the unregenerate, but not so for the person who is a new creature, creature in Christ. I don't know if I would go so that, that far because total depravity doesn't, again, it, it, it argues the corruption has reached all faculties of our being. And, and that still holds true for us, you know? Especially mathematics in the Fry household, okay? Right there proves that we are, our minds are still not capable of, of doing things that we could be doing. I, it just seems like he's trying too hard to prove a point of his agenda, of, of this positive self-image that Christians should hold on to. I do agree with him, and I appreciate his wise insights in this chapter. I do believe the teaching of total depravity, however, still has meaning for us. Um, but his thoughts his concerns and what he wanted to accomplish in this chapter is very helpful for us. Bringing out and reminding us that we are no longer, we, that old man no longer lives. So let's live that way as if only the new man is living in us. So I wanted to point that out to you if you're following along in the book.